This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm on the line just with our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Howdy, Katie. <laughs> this is our special South by Southwest episode of the podcast. Uh, Joanna, you are at South by. I am not, although I have uh, lost my voice this week, so if I sound scratchy, it's not because I've been out partying at Austin bars. You've been doing that because you get to have all the fun. No, Katie, when I come to film festivals, I just studiously watch film. That's it. No partying. <laughs> South by Southwest does seem more overwhelming than most film festivals. Like maybe Cannes is more overwhelming because it's like in a foreign language and there's yachts around. But the amount of stuff going on at South by just, and there isn't even movies, like all the activations and events. And then there's a whole music festival. It just seems crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think if you try to take everything in, it can feel like an assault on the senses. But if you just boil it down to the actual locations where they're showing films, it's so much easier than something like Sundance because you can physically walk to 90% of the venues. You know what I mean? It's a flat, walkable town. The there's no snow. To go, yeah, there's no snow. You don't have to hop on a shuttle. The farthest you have to go is across the river. So if you want to, like, pack your schedule with, with films, it's actually pretty doable. You know, you have to factor in line time and stuff like that. But it's actually it's actually pretty doable to watch films, like, all the live long day. If you try to stop at every person offering you weird free stuff on the street like you'll never get to a single <laughs> film but um yeah it's it's crazy the whole the whole place becomes kind of a, something of a carnival and because austin is something of a of a town on the come up you know they're like constantly developing it and um you know much to the chagrin of locals like a, a bunch of new housings going in all this stuff there's constantly these empty lots that are in the process of being remade that get taken over by networks or studios and just huge activations are there you know you'll have just like like, I remember one year there was like a Mr. Robot Ferris wheel in the middle of downtown. You know, it's just like. Didn't they do a big Game of Thrones thing like a year or two ago with a throne? And was that when they did the melted block of ice? Uh, no, well, it, it was during South by Time, but yeah, they've done they've done various things for Game of Thrones over the years. This year they did a blood drive called Bleed for the Throne, um, and it was like kind of a cute little like cool throne room activation thing where they had people, actors doing um, a little performance. Last year, the biggest uh, biggest activation was Westworld did like a ghost town just out of town. Um, they took over like this actual ghost town and made it like this big Westworld activation with all these actors uh, performing, which was which was kind of fun. This year, the biggest um, activation, and trust me, like, I sort of want to die a little every time I say the word activation, but the biggest activation... <laughs> no, you've really, you've really drank the, the Austin Kool-Aid here. <laughs> well, 
the biggest one was um, Good Omens, the Amazon show. There's always like one big one. And I think this year the big one was Good Omens. They took over this lot where the the food trucks usually are um, and made it into like a a Garden of Eden sort of paradise uh, thing in there. Uh, They had puppies in there. And then roaming the street at any given time, they had all these actors uh, dressed as angels, dressed as demons, dressed as, you know, end of the world protesters, all this sort of stuff, recruiting people. And I was actually talking to some of the Amazon publicity people about this. And they were like, oh, and they had these singing nuns that were just like crashing panels and doing all this stuff. None of this is helping me understand what Good Omens is, just to be. (laughs) Maybe it's not. You know, it's like, it's sort of like a spoof on the omen is like the easiest way to sort of describe it and end of the world angels and demons sort of stuff but um i was talking to some of the amazon people about it i was like wow you guys like really went for it like they were handing out good omens umbrellas like all sort of stuff and they were like what we've discovered at at south by is like there's so much vying for your attention that you have to either go enormous or like what's even the point of doing it at all. And um Yeah, you can't just like hand out some like flyers on the street and expect anyone to pay attention. Well, when I was walking towards the Good Omens activation a couple days ago, I walked past there was like someone had taken over a bar, um, Stars had taken over a bar for American Gods season two. That's another show. Both of these are shows based on books by Neil Gaiman. American Gods had a bumpy first season, so it's obviously like probably got less budget behind it to be here. But I was like, I didn't even know there was an American Gods thing here except I just happen to walk past it. And so that's just the difference of like, if you just show up, you know, pretty much people are only going to find you by accident. But if you go huge on one thing, like a Mr. Robot Ferris wheel or a Garden of Eden in the middle of Austin, um, you know, people people will recognize. Whether or not they then actually watch your show, uh, I don't know the answer to that. But I'm sure I'm sure Good Omens is on more people's radar after this weekend than it was before. Well, and we just talked about a bunch of TV shows promoting themselves, and South by Southwest is technically a film festival, although I think they do screen TV episodes as they do at a lot of festivals. Um, but it is interesting that, like, the TV is where all the money is, and if you want your movie to be noticed, you just screen it the way you I assume there wasn't a giant us activation downtown as well uh, not that I saw unless it was like subversive um, it would be terrifying no. <laughs> honestly <laughs> so bad um yeah like sometimes movies I think um not usually movies that are screening here but sometimes we've had like VR activations for like Tom Cruise's The Mummy or you know like some big oh, like boy, that worked out. yeah yeah like gangbusters. So maybe that's why we don't see that anymore. But like, I think you see like sort of big blockbustery things or studios trying to like tout technology because there is that tech conference that goes alongside this. So like VR is often um, a big thing that's, that's on display here. But the shows that were here this year were even more genre than usual. Like they had a What We Do in the Shadows premiere, which is the FX adaptation of the 2014 Jemaine Clement Taika Waititi uh, film. And I actually first saw that film here at South By. I was I about to say, pre- that sounds like a very South By kind of movie. Yeah, I think it premiered at Sundance, but then it came here. And a lot of that happens with like a lot of Taika stuff is that it'll premiere at Sundance and then it'll come here. But um but yeah, so it was it was fun. You know, I got to talk to those guys, and it was fun to uh, you know watch it kind of come full circle in that way. Uh, there's also like Nosferatu, which is this Joe Hill horror thing that AMC is doing that had a screening here. Um, yeah, so there's there's a couple fun genre TV shows. And there have been some good ones that premiered here over the years. Like Search Party was one that that popped up here. Halt and Catch Fire, say what you will about it, but like that ended up getting a lot of admirers that that premiered here. So 
And I think this is true that South by was one of the first film festivals to really allow TV in here because, you know, South by is a notoriously like, um, less snobby film festival, right? Like we, we yeah. More genre friendly. Yeah. A lot of comedies here, a lot of horror here. It's just sort of like what's good and fun. And there's a lot of like challenging indie arty dramas here as well. Like it's not devoid of that, but it's not like, I don't think the programmers at South by see the barriers as strongly as some other organizations might've. And so they were early adapters to, um, including TV. And now you see TV at like all the film festivals. So. Yeah. Well, that might be a good way to segue into Jordan Peele's Us, which was kind of the first big premiere of the festival. Um, I mean, it's a, a genre film, so it's something that South by would automatically be attuned to, although I, it's hard to imagine any film festival in the world turning down Jordan Peele's Get Out follow-up. Um, but South by did seem like kind of a perfect place to premiere this, where it's kind of quote-unquote elevated horror. It seems like it played really well to the crowd. Um, before we get into the inevitable Oscar conversation, just tell me about Us, because I'm not sure we're going to get a chance to talk about it on the show beyond this. Yeah, I mean, I. it's funny because when Get Out premiered at Sundance um, a couple years ago, I was surprised and like a little upset because I was like, this is such a South By movie. Why did Sundance get Get Out? Why not South By? Um, but yeah, so for his second movie, he came here and um, it is much more of a horror movie than Get Out was, like a straight horror. Um, not that it isn't funny. Uh, in places, but, you know, so the story, you know, without spoiling much, and you can't talk too much about it without spoiling too much, but um, this is what you can glean from the trailer, right? Which is that Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke play husband and wife. They are on vacation in Santa Cruz with their two kids. Um, their friends, played by Tim Heidecker and Elizabeth Moss, are vacationing sort of nearby uh, around a lake or near 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 the boardwalk. And one night on their vacation, I think the first night of their vacation, a family of doppelgangers show up. And then what follows is basically, you know, without getting into the nuance of it, a home invasion kind of horror, um, but by people who look exactly like them. Which is uh, terrifying. Very terrifying. Lupita Nyong'o, I think we already knew, I mean, you know, she had an Oscar at, an impo- at a very early age. Like, we knew that she was a tremendous performer. But something that um, our colleague Nicole Sperling pointed out to me when we watched Us is she was like, isn't it amazing that this is Lupita's first leading role? And I was yeah. like, yeah, that's bananas. I <laughs> Like, that hadn't occurred to me. And Lupita's also in another really fun movie um, that screened here, and I think also screened at Sundance called Little Monsters, which is like a, a zombie movie, much more like sort of like a fun zombie B movie kind of thing but um that's also a leading role but like this is like her big a big leading role for her and she just chews into it and she was just like feeling her star moment she had this insane and I mean that in a good way like outfit on at the premiere she had like a white suit with a cutout on the side and an angel wing on the other side and then like um silver barrettes like all through her hair kind of making her look like this space alien angel thing and I was just like all right welcome to South by <laughs> like she's just doing it it was great I mean her fashion streak has like she, she was such a fashion icon from the very beginning with 12 years a slave but I like this not just like red carpet glam it's like funky yeah, like, this is a far cry from the blue princess dress on the Oscars. That's just like, yeah. Um, you know, she was fantastic. Uh, Jordan was great. Um, I got to talk to Sean McKittrick, who was a uh, producer on the film. He also produced Get Out and Black Klansman. So he's got two Oscars 
um, you know, two Oscars for screenwriting for his films sort of back to back. And so I asked him a bit about, you know, uh, in, in a very little gold men way, I asked him some questions about, um, does it then put pressure on you to like only do films that are going to win a, a screenwriting award or, or any kind of award? And I asked him a bit about Green Book and all of that. So that will be on a piece that will be up on VF.com. But he, he, he was saying to me and, and Jordan, I talked to him about, an hour or two before the premiere. And Jordan kind of backed this up at the premiere itself. He's like, this is a film where Jordan has decided, unlike Get Out, he's not going to explain every bit of it. He's like, every frame means something. Jordan has decided he's not going to tell you what it all means. And while he tells you kind of the basic idea, which is like, what if instead of in this politically fraught climate, what if instead of pointing fingers at someone, you know, I think the way that Jordan put it, and it was really good, like he talked about the other, like an immigrant or, um, you know, a person of color or whatever, that kind of other, but also the other. And the way he put it was someone who doesn't live near you, who didn't vote the same way you did. So he basically means like a white Trump voter from middle America, but he didn't put it that way. When speaking um, to the South by audience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, like what if instead of pointing fingers at those people, we look at ourselves? Like what if our, if we are our own worst enemy, what if it's us? So what, what behaviors can we correct in ourselves sort of thing? So this idea of being confronted with a, a perverted warped version of yourself, uh, you know, maybe encouraging all of us to look inward. Uh, there's some other plot twists in there that I don't, you know, I don't want to touch on uh, to preserve the experience for everyone. But I, I, I was absorbed by it. You and I both, Katie, are not huge horror fans. Um, <laughs> it takes a lot for me to make it through them. Yeah, and you know, like I had to watch Hereditary with all the lights on. This is very like it's similar, I think, in the scare factor to Hereditary. Um, I don't think it will be as popular as Get Out because it's not as like populist as Get Out. It's more challenging. Um, I challenging think will- in how scary it is, or how like the, it, it, like I mean, it's, horror it's, can go can go off the deep end in a lot of ways. It's it's a weird movie, I think. Um, and, and I love it. Like, I love that this is what he did with his follow-up to Get Out. Like, um, Sean McKittrick was saying this to me. He's like, Jordan Peele could have done anything, anything. He could have done a Star Wars. He could have done anything after Get Out. And he, this is what he wanted to do. And I think that's, that's really cool. Um, you know, one of the inspirations that, like, Lupita Nyong'o, I think, told Entertainment Weekly about a list of films that she watched to prepare for this. And one of them was, uh, Funny Games, which oh, is man. extraordinarily challenging. So it's not that challenging, but it is like in that vein, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that this, not that box office matters that much, but it does. But like, I, I suspect this will have a huge opening weekend because of the get out and like the fact that Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke were two hugely popular Black Panther actors, you know, in this, in this uh, follow up. Uh, production, but um, I don't know that we'll have the same legs. Is it going to be as- one of those cinema score disasters where the audience members who thought they were going to get get out to were just like, "What? I've been challenged." Ooh, maybe, maybe I don't know about disaster, but it, it might be. It might be people surprised. Though I mean, I I do think that the trailer prepare and all of the ad campaign is not hiding. It's strangeness, you know? Yeah. So, anyway. I mean, I was going to say, I feel like they're not positioning this as an awards player smartly, like, you know, not trying to, be, like, capture the Get Out magic again. But then again, Get Out wasn't positioned as an awards player until it became a massive hit. So you really, you never know. Like, I'm not I'm not going to be the one to beat the drum and tell them they have to push for it. I think it's great that, you know, like you said, like, Jordan Peele could have done whatever he wanted and he's made something that's, like, odd and maybe not as audience-pleasing. But I don't know. We'll see what we're talking about in six months regarding us. 
I know. I think if I had to um, play my flag on one thing, it would be Lupita Nyong'o. Um, yeah. Much the way that like a lot of people were banging the drum for Tony Collette last year. But um, I could definitely see Lupita getting um, a Golden Globe nomination maybe win for this especially because you know it's a dual role it's a dual role throughout yeah because everyone in the family presumably plays a dual role because they have their doppelgangers yes but hers her doppelganger is sort of like the lead of the you know so like it's it's much more her doing two parts even though all of them do and um you know i do want to give a brief shout out to elizabeth moss and tim heidegger because they are also elizabeth moss fantastic in this always fantastic but some really really fun fun stuff from her so um, i'm really excited to see winston duke too because like lapita has like you were saying hasn't had a starring role but like winston duke i've only seen in black panther and i'm like just curious about what else he can do yeah i think jordan peele opened the premiere by saying like he was introducing the cast in the audience and he was like winston duke he's like once this is over no more calling him mbaku like he can do more <laughs> than that like just you wait and see so, although yeah. there's a black panther sequel coming where we'll be back to calling him mbaku <laughs> It's true. It's true. Definitely. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited for people to see it. Um, I'm excited for people to be weirded out by it. I'm excited for people to embrace it. Um, I think it's, I think it's a great swing from from Jordan Peele, and I think it's like a hit. It's not like a, oh, that was ambitious, but you missed. It's like it's ambitious. You hit it. It might not be what everyone expects, but I, I really, really, I really liked it a lot. Well, the fact that we have this and then the Twilight Zone premiering, I believe, in April, like, we're just going to be spending a lot of time in Jordan Peele's head over the next couple months. And, you know, having watched Key and Peele, and, you know, that was a collaboration, obviously, but there's a lot of, like, weird horror-y-ish stuff in that show, too. Uh, I'm just excited to go back there. Yeah, I mean, this this is what he's interested in. This is, you know, like, and it is such a good time for horror right now um, in terms of, like, you get you get the horror... It's sort of like a star is born. You get the you get the a star is born that your generation deserves. Like you get the horror that your America deserves at any given time, and this is like quite the time for horror, I think. So. <laughs> I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. I'm really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> Uh, all right, so maybe we should uh, pivot to the other genre that South by tends to love so much, which is comedy. Uh, and I, you know, just basically following South by via tweets, it seemed like you and a ton of other people fell really, really hard for Olivia Wilde's directorial debut. Yeah, so Nicole and I got to see an early screening of this. We got to go on Thursday before the premiere because um, we're lucky little ducks. And <laughs> so so we didn't see it in the param- – like, so one thing that South by is notorious for among – like, with its queso and, and tacos and beer is um, the Paramount Theater is where all the big premieres happen. 
The, uh, there is no better place in the world to watch a studio comedy than um, the Paramount Theater uh, at South by Southwest. This is where you saw your beloved blockers. This is where I saw my beloved blockers. I've seen some movies I didn't like there, too. I saw Keanu there. I saw Sausage Party there. I saw Ready Player One there. Like, there, there are films that I've seen there that the audience has been into and I have been out of. But... Um, but if you want to laugh and you want and you like you know you want to be sort of buoyed along by other people's laughter, like there's no better place than the Paramount. Um, that being said, I did not see Booksmart at the Paramount. I saw it at and like it was for a volunteer screening, like a treat for the volunteers on Thursday at like a remote uh, location, and um, it killed. It killed, and I loved it. Uh, so this is Olivia Wilde's directorial debut. Stars Beanie Feldstein, Caitlin Deaver, Billy Lord, a bunch of other great kids. Uh, one of the kids from American Vandal. I actually saw two two actors from American Vandal season one. Wait, which kid from American Vandal? Uh, his first name's Eduardo. I forget his last name. He plays like one. He's got like super long dark hair, and he plays one of like Jimmy Tatro's like uh, you know. Prank. One of the uh, oh my god, what are they the, called? The, the something the, boys, the wayback yeah. boys, or something. Wayback like boys, I yeah, think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's great. He's fantastic. He has like actually a very significant role in in Booksmart, and he's great. It's always fun to like because you never know with something like American Vandal if those actors are actually like good, only because it's like a. a because the casting feels so yeah, you know. ideal, yeah, yeah. So you don't know, but he's great, and Jimmy Tatro is in um, Kumail and Johnny's new film Stuber, and so he's. Oh, he's I'm great so glad too. to see him in something else. Yeah, so it's a it was a double American Vandal South by, but um, Booksmart centers on two high school girls played by Caitlin Deaver, Beanie Feldstein, best friends who have been you know straight A type A students their whole time um, at high school, and then on the eve of graduation. You know, they realize that they really missed out not partying the whole time with their classmates. And so they, they decide they are going to party on their last night of high school. And This has it, a very Blockers vibe so far. Yeah, Blockers. And a lot of people are comparing it to Superbad. Um, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that, that seems like a huge uh, comparison there. But it um, – so it takes them on a series of misadventures. You know, and Olivia Wilde herself uh, referenced John Hughes. And it's just like a series of misadventures on their way to this party. Party, um, and then the party itself, um, and everything that happens, and it's just, it's like, and I mean, like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to shy away from this because the trailer doesn't, and the movie itself doesn't. It's um, Caitlin Deaver plays, um, you know, like a gay kid, and we talked about this a bit with Blockers and Love Simon last year, where like they, there were these kids, you know, these, there were gay love stories or, or gay burgeoning love stories in those films for teens. Um, but a feedback that I heard from some people was that like, they were a little overseeing like the coming out gay story. And they wanted just like, not like a kid realizing they were gay, but a kid just being gay. I feel and like I think not to speak for Richard, but I feel like yeah. he's been one of the people who's brought that up. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. And so, like, the idea of of Caitlyn Deaver's character has been out for a couple of years. Her parents know she's she's gay. Her parents are supportive, um, and so it's not just like is this kid gay? It's there's no drama around her sexuality, but it's like her living in her gayness, her, like, being, like, actually sexually and romantically gay. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And that, I think, is something we haven't seen in a mainstream comedy like this. And so it's just, I I really loved it. And there are parts of this 
film. You know, it's it's very funny. Beanie Feldstein, who we already knew was great, um, you know, talk about people who deserve a leading role. Like here, she is just like very much carrying the movie um, in a lot of ways. Um, but there's a lot of sort of quasi-experimental stuff uh, here too, which really shows Olivia Wilde sort of, I, I, I think the way I put it is like flexing her first time director skills. Like there's this long pool sequence that is, is like, um, it's very artistic. Once you see it, like it's just extremely artistic. And I'm like, what is this doing in the middle of, of this teen comedy? Like, this is great. And I, I talked to Olivia Wilde about it too. I talked to all the girls and Olivia and, um, and she was like, <laughs> she, she's laughing at herself. She's like, I was so enamored of that, of that scene. Uh, it was actually two minutes longer and they made me cut it. And I didn't want to cut more of it. She was like, she's like, but I'll tell you what, you know, as an actor turned director, she's like, I'll tell you something that happened. She's like, that pool was heated. She's like, that's an actor director move right there. She's like, I've been in so many unheated pools, but I made sure that pool was heated. So um, yeah, it's really great. Yeah. So when is Booksmart coming out? It's got a distributor, right? Um, yeah, it's Annapurna, and um, May twenty fourth it comes out, just in time for end of end of high school, right? Yeah. So, so can we hope this maybe makes more of a box office splash than Blockers did? Like, I know I think a lot of the right people saw Blockers, and it's grown over time as a lot of comedies do. But I still want one of these like super girl powery comedies to like make the super bad box office impact. Yeah, I'm. I'm... <sighs> Once again, I feel like I feel like I sounded a little bit like this when I was talking about us in terms of like underestimating the mainstream. Like I don't want to be like, oh, us is too challenging for the mainstream and like yeah. gayness is too challenging for the mainstream. But like I don't know what like an out and totally comfortable with it gay co-protagonist does to the mainstream, you know, blockbuster potential for something. That's okay. All right. The other comedy that I'm most curious about that honestly wasn't even on my radar until South by is long shot Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron rom-com. I'm so here for it. Yeah. So I loved this movie, but this is the one like, I think us was universally admired. Uh, Booksmart was universally like beloved, but long shot was pretty, a pretty divisive premiere at the Paramount theater this year. Um, I know a lot of people, a lot of people I respect who went and saw it and didn't like it. I loved it. Um, I really, really loved it. So Seth Rogen and Charlie is there. And what's interesting is that this movie was originally called Flarsky, which is the name of Seth Rogen's character. And my, um, understanding is that originally the script was more of a like Seth Seth Rogen movie Seth Rogen vehicle sort of thing um and then they brought Charlize Theron on to be the romantic lead and something she said from the stage of the Paramount she's like when I got cast I didn't just want to be the girl in um a Seth Rogen movie who just stands there, which I thought was an interesting thing for her to say, like right in front of Seth Rogen. But, um, you know, so they, they further developed her character, I think to make it more of a two hander. And so then, and Liz Hanna is, uh, co-credited on, um, the screenplay there. She, she also, you know, she wrote on the post and stuff like that. So like, I don't know if she was brought in or if she was already on, but it seems like they made, they took it from a Seth Rogen gross out comedy to a, a two hander. But at the same time, I still wouldn't call it a feminist rom-com, which is something that like a friend of mine, a, a great film writer, she was sort of, um, blasting the film on Twitter, calling it a feminist rom-com and saying how it fell short. And I was just like, I don't think anyone who made this movie 
was like calling it a feminist rom-com. Like that's, the feminist comedy of South By is book smart. This is still a Seth Rogen comedy. So there's still like cum jokes and all sorts of stuff. But um, And calling yourself a feminist rom-com seems like a, a cell phone from the very beginning. Like the minute you call yourself a feminist rom-com, someone's going to tell you how you're not. Yeah, and they just, they never did. They never said that. It's just something that uh, like some people are putting on them. And I don't, I don't know that I think that that's fair. Um, it's directed by Jonathan Levine, who did 50-50, which is another um, like Seth Rogen film that I really loved. But uh, long story short, Seth Rogen plays a, a journalist who gets fired because his uh, small paper, his, you know, indie liberal paper is taken over by basically, you know, Fox, uh, you know, sort of. And um, he goes to work for Charlize Theron, who's Secretary of State, who's had some, you know, polls done about her likability and she's not funny enough. And so she hires him. She knew him. She used to babysit him when they were kids. They meet by chance. She looks him up. His writing's really funny. So she hires him to sort of punch up her speeches on the campaign trail to president. And, um, and then they fall in love. It's a, it's a rom-com. And it is a very, like, um, some people described it as, like, pretty woman, but Seth Rogen is the Julia Roberts character or whatever. It is a very, like, um, kind of something old-fashioned about it with all of the Seth Rogen-y sort of, you know, there's a sequence where they get really high and then have to, like, do affairs of state or something like that. You know, like, there's there's stuff that feels very Seth Rogen-y, but, like, um, with this, like, weird elegant, lovely, Notting Hill-esque story in it as well. I will say, like, the the final act of it is a little bumpy on landing, which I think is true of all rom-coms. Like, it's hard to bring it in in a way that doesn't feel like, oh, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back in a way that we've seen before. But um, If you have a good montage of everyone looking out a rainy window and ooh, weeping, that's helpful. then that's how you do it. <laughs> But yeah, I was really, I was really charmed by it. Charlize is, was great. I love watching her do comedy, um, which she doesn't get to do a lot of. So yeah. she's made so many interesting choices lately too. Like Tully last year was so yeah. fantastic. She's got the uh, Roger Ailes movie coming. This I didn't even know was coming at all. Um, not to further put it in the feminist rom com trap, but I'm just curious when you say that he's brought in to kind of make her more likable on the campaign trail. That's kind of a uh, nuclear term when it comes to women running for high office. Does it get into that enough? Do you think? Oh, I don't think they ever say likable. They say it. it's like, you know, she scores high on like elegance and blah, blah, blah. And it was sense of humor was just like a thing. And so it touches on, it's not trying to be super um, like very in-depth politically. I think I saw some people say, oh, this is Veep meets um, Notting Hill. And what I would caution people against is uh, looking for as sharp, abiding political satire as Veep is capable of. Bob Odenkirk plays the president, and he's the president who, like, he's a guy who played the president on TV for eight years and then was elected president, which I think is a great concept. It's, like, terrifyingly plausible. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, Martin Sheen's like, oh, maybe. Um, And, and and um, Alexander Skarsgård plays a great tr- Justin Trudeau-esque character at a perfect time for a Justin Trudeau uh, spoof. So he's fantastic. And then uh, Andy Serkis plays um, a, a sort of uh, Roger Ailes uh, disgusting character. So, uh, you know, like the stuff is in there, but I don't. it's background to the love story. And I don't think they're really trying to make all of that, you know, as sharp as as you might want. 
It was really fun um, because Seth Rogen got to play double duty at this festival. I mean, Seth Rogen has been a staple at South by like he's had preacher here. I've seen a lot of Seth Rogen films here, but um, he, he came to also help launch a a film that he produced with his partner, Evan Goldberg uh, called good boys. And this, uh, this is a film that that people are calling live action South park. Um, And I think they had like a funny little uh, promotional trailer that was going around where Seth Rogen, was talking to the three boys who star in it, um, which is Jacob Tremblay, Keith L. Williams, and Brady Noon. And he's like, okay, you boys are in this movie, but you're not old enough to watch this trailer. I'm sorry. Is this little, like cute little thing that goes before the trailer? It's a really sweet film, despite the fact that there's just like a lot of swearing and a lot of like, I don't know, sex toy gags and stuff like that. It's like about these three boys who go on this adventure, boys on bikes, sort of stranger things kind of thing. Um, They're 11. They're swearing a blue streak through the whole thing, but in a way that feels really believable for like young boys. They're very sweet young boys who are trying to figure out like what swearing is, what sex is, what all of this is. Um, They keep encountering things like drugs, like sex toys or whatever that they don't understand what they are, um, but they think they have an understanding, but they don't really understand. And, um, you know, especially Jacob Tremblay, who people know from Room um, and a few other things, has this just like very sweet cute little face uh and just seems like just this very like proper cute kid and so to watch him just like swearing it up is you know is a little bit of a cognitive dissonance that's really fun and it's just like throughout it's um it's never punching down always punching up and it's it's just got like a really good attitude and i i just i was really charmed by it um the antagonists in the film uh are these two girls played by molly gordon and midori francis who are like a little bit older and they get sort of embroiled in this adventure and they're like they're quasi antagonists they're like babysitter age like would be antagonists but molly gordon i just wanted to point out was in I think she's like three things at the festival. She's in this new Hulu series, uh, Rami. She's in Book Smart, has a great role in Book Smart, and then she's fantastic in this. So she's just a young actress that I think people should keep their eye on. Um, but yeah, this this was like a huge, a huge joy. Um, it was directed by Gene Stupnitsky and and written by Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stupnitsky, who seemed like a sort of they were really funny and charming on stage, and so they really seemed like a pair that could you could see definitely more things coming from them. But this, uh, unlike Booksmart, which might have a barrier entry due to like the homosexuality content, maybe I'm underestimating people, but maybe um, this seems like it has the potential to just really hit. Because I think people are really going to love. And and there's just like a lot there beyond the conceit of isn't it funny to watch small boys swear. There's just a lot of really sweet, tender things about um, what happens to the friends you had when you were young when your interests start to diverge at the at the right around this age, 11 or 12, something like that. Um, and it's just it's 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 really sweet. And yeah, it's also being compared to super bad. So the, these are the. These are the generation one generation down super bad uh, films that we're seeing here, and and it's crazy fantastic. that like Seth Rogen shepherded super bad over ten years ago, and like now is back, kind of like even older, but and in the same role of like seeing what adolescent boys are all about. Yeah, and I think you know 
I think Superbad hits so well because there there is that surprising tenderness uh, towards the end of it between Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah's characters um, in terms of letting go of this friendship that's meant so much to them, uh, moving on, growing up from it. But I think these films, 10 years on, were even more comfortable with like leaning into uh, watching young men be emotional. I mean, these are even younger men, obviously, but watching young men be emotional, watching these women be emotional about these friendships that mean so much to us and what it means, you know, to grow beyond them. Um, it's just it, the great messages and just great messages throughout these films for young people about there are no like clear cut jock villains anymore you know I, I see these films that are that are taking inspiration from 80s movies but you don't have like the football player and the blonde cheerleader the rich kid popular kid things anymore like whoever the popular kids are it's like different and and more nuanced and oftentimes they're not the villain after all like what you find out is that we're all just kids trying to make it through you know and I just I think that that's uh, such a healthier dynamic to to show on screen um this also sounds like a, the 21 Jump Street joke where uh, Dave Franco is like the popular kid or uh, right, right, right. <laughs> the theater kids, right? Or the popular kids. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, okay. Let's do a quick rundown through just any other big highlights from South by stuff that you might've seen, stuff that you might not have seen. Um, I maybe start with the beach bum, which is the Harmony Corinne movie starring Matthew McConaughey also out soon that uh, I think a lot of people are talking about. Yeah. Um, I, I heard, so I didn't get to see this one. I am not a huge Harmony Corinne fan, but I heard from people who have, hated other Harmony Korine movies that they actually quite liked this one that like you know Harmony Korine is such a divisive uh filmmaker Spring Breakers um also premiered here a couple years ago uh and that was one that I think was kind of a hit with film critics um but there there were still were some holdouts and I saw a lot of holdouts crumble uh, in the face of Beach Bum they seemed to really like it so I mean McConaughey is really really suited for for that sort of thing but it's like if you like Harmony Corinne, this is Harmony Corinne, like, dialed up to 11. And uh, if you really, really, really don't like Harmony Corinne, then maybe, you know, this isn't the film for you. But Jimmy Buffett, I heard a lot of people talk about Jimmy Buffett in this. So, hey, man, if you're a Margaritaville <laughs> fan, perhaps Beach Bum is for you. Um, okay, what else should we uh, keep an eye out for? The other one that a lot of people are talking about is The Day Shall Come by Chris Morris, who did Four Lines a couple years ago, which is sort of like this... Four Lines was this interesting film about, um, like, hapless terrorists with Riz Ahmed, uh, sort of like an entree for Riz Ahmed. Um, and this is, you know, this is a farce of, like, uh, homeland security, <laughs> which is maybe as sensitive, even more sensitive, possibly. I just saw a, um, a really divided audience come out of this one. I saw some people say it was the worst thing they'd ever seen at this festival. I saw someone, a friend of mine, uh, who is a non-white um, film critic, was, like, kind of vibrating with anger when he came out of it. Uh, he was so angry about it. Uh, and then I know some people who really loved it and thought it was hilarious and, and great. So I, I am extremely curious to see it myself. I think, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's one of those... Because Chris Morris is British, I think it's another one of those, like, looking at racial issues in America from the outside uh, things that sort of like three billboards might hit with some people as sort of like, yes, this is telling truths. And for other people being like, wow, this is just a very surface and insensitive treatment of a much deeper problem, you know. So 
I I I haven't seen it myself, so I, I don't have a personal opinion, but that was one that I saw very sharply divided takes on. A film that I saw that I really liked that I don't know will get any talk outside of anything, and I know it premiered at TIFF last year, uh, is Wild Rose, which is a Scottish film about... Um, uh, you know, a lower class a woman who is a who's a great singer who wants to be a country singer in Nashville, um, and I, I it really got me. And this is a film I saw like a very poorly attended screening of, so it was not the emotions in the room. It's just the film itself. But Julie Walters is plays Jesse Buckley's mom. Jesse Buckley is just this incredible force throughout the whole film, um, and it's got great great music in it. You, uh, Kitty Rich, a Dolly Parton fan. Um, I yeah. really enjoy this, like, very classic Grand Old Opry sort of uh, treatment of country music uh, through the lens of Scottishness. Um, <laughs> I, I really, really liked it a lot. So. Uh, I, I love. I mean, that, that's maybe you know, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning. Like South by has all these things that are promoting themselves really heavily, but it does have room for discovery, which is it's nice to know that festivals still have that, even if they've been overtaken by Netflix and Amazon dollars. Yeah, there was another one that I watched, sort of word of mouth. I mean, this is where I saw Support the Girls last year because someone on the street told me, yeah. Fair of Rolling Stone told me to. So, like, I'm always have my ear out for, like, what are you watching that you like? Um, let me, how can I adjust my schedule so I can see it? And one of the, one of those movies was, um, a friend of mine, Eric Vespi, saw Boys in the Wood, uh, which, is a, uh, a UK film about four boys, um, and the Highlands, Scottish Highlands, who like four four tough boys, three tough boys, one soft boy, uh, youths out on the Highlands who are being chased, sort of hunted by Eddie Izzard in a mask. And the the <laughs> the comparison they gave me was like Attack the Block, where it's just like a bunch of like fun kids who haven't done like a lot of films before so they're sort of like raw performances and a weird like sort of supernatural element too or whatever and this this kind of takes on it takes on like class issues in the british monarchy um in a way that's that's really fun i mean like the implication this isn't a secret the implication is that it's like at eddie izzard and the, and the woman who's working with him are playing um prince philip and the queen even though it's never said that they are and that they're hunting like they're hunting unwanted you know british teenagers for sport or they're they're weeding out the the unwanted uh youth of the uk wow. by you know hunting them on the highlands and you know they never say you know that they are uh philip and the queen but that that's the implication and that's um yeah, it's 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 really it's fun and it's weird and uh, it won't get wide distribution, but it's just a really fun swing. So um, yeah, I mean, I I really do love this festival for for the weirdness of it, and it's just it's a festival that has like a lot of of joy baked into it. And I something that I've seen that you know this might be a little too insular film Twitter, but like something I've seen that's kind of disappointed me is a lot of the film Twitter people who. Go to TIFF, go to Cannes, go to Sundance, but don't go to South by. Really sneering at the like the buzz that comes out of South by, like oh it's so unreliable and stuff like that. And I just like I think it's fine to take into consideration that everyone here is here to have a good time. I think it's fine to take into consideration that any sort of premiere crowd um, is going to be more amped up than any other crowd. But like to say that South by hype is more overblown than Sundance hype is like kind of laughable to me because there are films that come out of Sundance that people are like, this is it. This is the next masterpiece that nobody sees, you know? And so like, you know, blockers did not do what I wanted to do last year. That's true. But like a quiet place 
had legs all year. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I think, you know, tr- this is where Trainwreck came out. This is where Bridesmaids came out. Like, there, this is a place for for comedy and genre to really find its firm legs and go. Um, but, yeah, c- take into account that everyone's been eating queso all day and so it's pretty – in a pretty good place. Uh, yeah. So maybe to wrap it up, anything besides Lupita that we'll be looking at that you, we at least personally want to see awards campaigns for whether or not it actually happens. Um, like, should we be like hoping for a book smart screenplay nom the way we were hoping for blockers? It's funny because book smart is such a weird, um, combination of, it's got some of that like eighth grade ladybird vibe to it, but like more overtly a high school comedy than that. So, like, if people are being imaginative and have their their hearts and minds open, I would gladly see Booksmart in the same conversation that Eighth Grade, which got close but didn't quite get there, uh, got or Lady Bird got. You know, um, I would love to see Olivia Wilde get some attention, a lot of attention for this first effort. Um, but I don't know. I, I just don't know. I, it, w- it would be lovely if there's something in Booksmart that could be in the awards conversation. Well, but at least we can keep talking about it. Yeah, let's keep talking about it the way we talked about blockers. Why not? Go see Booksmart. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's really great. Well, that does it for this week's Little Gold Men. I believe we'll all be back next week, and we'll be doing our 2020 Oscar predictions episode, which uh, is always incredibly fun. So uh, you can start campaigning for us now about what you want to see us consider. Uh, in the meantime, Joanna, uh, I guess your South by coverage is going to just keep coming on VF.com, right? Yeah, you'll see me talking about some South by stuff on VF.com. Uh, we are doing our, we're in full-blown Game of Thrones rewatch mode yes. over on Still Watching. So if you want to hear Richard and Joanna talk about Game of Thrones, that is where you can find us. Or you can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at Little Gold Men, uh, tweeting occasionally, but always hearing from you. Um, this episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts. From PRX.